0: hello this is the lunar poetry podcast my name is david turner today's episode comes to you in three parts the last part is a recording taken from the 20th anniversary celebrations of poetry unplugged second section is an interview with a fantastic poet Andre simons but first up we've got poetry at the pad poetry at the pad is a monthly series of poetry evenings in dagenham in essex which focuses on building new connections between artists their work and the audience the setup on the night is that after a poet's feature set, they're invited by that evening's host to talk about their writing practice. Hopefully, we'll be bringing more um, of these conversations to you in a collaboration between ourselves and Poetry at the Pad. First in this series and first up in today's episode is the repeat beat poet interviewing Thomas Geek Owoo.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Thomas Awu.
2: How you doing, guys? You all right? Can we just give it up? The one and only repeat beat poet my
3: life.
2: <laughs> He's been really lovely, he introduced to me quite a few little times and that, and always talks about Nodstock. but he never mentions humbly that I've competed against the winner who of, of Nodstock. So big up to the, to the winner of the NOSTOC slam. <laughs> He's so humble, but like, that needs to be remembered that like, he, he absolutely killed it. It was a really honour to actually, um, first little festival I ever actually um, went to. Forget about perform at, um, so um, poetry has really given me um, some real wonderful new experiences. So this is another one, I think this place is cool. Um, it's an interesting one, I might not go straight into um, explaining Ghetto Geek, I'm going to do that afterwards, I just felt like I was going to try and restrict myself a little bit for one piece, because if you've ever seen me perform normally, I can't control my body because I'm quite theatrical and I speak a lot with my body, and I'm going to try and restrict myself for one piece to just speak. Um, have you ever just felt that you just know that you should have never just rolled with those that brought lows and woes and even though you know you just go with the flow and slowly bestow your soul to a whole soul look over there what do you see? A young girl living in a dysfunctional family Trying not to be what the teachers said Even though mama's confirming those things in her head She knew it was wrong Grandma tore the right But despite that she gave birth to a baby from a boy she liked Verdict from school permanently expelled She could have excelled but was compelled to rebel Lack of control gets this girl in a rut She joins a gang, they think they're big shots She started shotting rocks from socks And shoplifting shops And getting caught by cops the whole lot Never did a thought knock of what a life this would lead She thought it was on lock like fort knocks But now she's reaping the sowing seed She started selling herself to some Seeking selfish satisfaction for her self-esteem's infractions. She's like sightseeing, because they're only into her physical attractions. Coming into key stage three, Fisher Family Trust predicted her to get at least 10 Bs and GCSEs. Five years forward and freeze. She fulfilled the self-fulfilling prophecy. It's the labeling theory in sociology. Told the label, lived up to the label So treat this poem as a fable Let's lay the table There's life and death in the tongue But you're the hand that rocks the cradle So people don't believe you're not able Of overcoming life that's not stable The world's your stage and you're the actor But who you play right with will determine your character So don't let the voices in your head get mad at you You can choose to cut loose And all those that have faced verbal abuse Win, draw, or lose. Time will soothe. Just choose carefully the friends that you choose. Thank you. Woo-hoo! So one of those—that's one of the pieces that I um, actually wrote for my sociology lesson. Basically, I'm—I'm I'm a teacher um, for last sort of thirteen years now in sort of secondary schools in Northwest London, and. Um, I was looking for resources and ideas to teach my sociology stuff. And to be honest, there wasn't that much stuff out there. Um, I, te- I trained in psychology as well. So when I did psychology, there was a lot more sort of interactive, cool games, video resources. Sociology is really interesting, I felt, but it wasn't really interactive resources that I could like nick and adapt and change. So I eventually just decided just to use um, some lyrics to try and create them and then get the students to analyse those lyrics to be able to um, see if they can see the sociology. In these raps. The reason why I call it sociology and rap because they were written to hip hop beats and then I kind of slow them down um, on this spoken word scene. Um, and I'd love if I could do one of uh, another little sociology and rap. Um, this one's a little bit different. Um, it kind of requires sort of, um, I'll say, pupil participation, if you're up <laughs> for that, like, that would be cool. Um, are you up for that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so if I say, um, how am I going to market this? You, you say, Ghetto Geek, how are you going to market this? Yeah, so we're going to try to practice that. You ready? How am I going to market this? Ghetto. Ghetto. Well, I did say social and rap, so you need a little bit of rhythm in that poetry. I understand, right? So we try it again. Ready? How am I going to market this? Ghetto, Ghetto geek, geek, how are you going to market this? How am I going to market this? People keep on asking what a Marxist is, so let me find a Marx scheme and I'll mark this quick. Can't you see you've been masked from this? Let me capture lines that will capture eyes. Let me capitalise this like a capitalist working cars and you still can't find a catalyst. Nah, the working class still can't find the catalyst for change. I'm not talking about the educating game because me and you don't ascribe the same. Nah. Life is a monopoly game, but some of you may fare well in the rain. But you, you and your YouTube views trying to get the class consciousness confused. I say, don't get confused, by music, because all your views are negative stereotypes of working class youths in the news. So <laughs> it's all about status. Twitter feeds, chatified updates, aren't the Same status. We both have different economic strains, so me and you are on different status. So me and you have different views of who's the crew chasing status. <laughs> <laughs> who's chasing status, you get it? Don't be a banker, you gotta give me credit. Credit. How ironic when I said it the bankers are bouncing the direct debits I'm working class there you go I said it I'm a pro-literate in tarry but I'm not in Mongolia so where the money at I've been working hard B but there's hardly any money in my pay pack so this is my payback. No, excusez-moi, top cat. Bourgeoisie, I see what you're playing at. Revolution arise, we all see what you're playing at. When it all seen, crystal clear, squeaky clean, but you've been caught Red Hanson, MOTD. You could be the captain of Liz and Company. There's no chance of you out me. How <laughs> am I going to market this? how yeah, I mean, uh, am I going to market this?
4: How yeah, am I going mean,
5: to
6: how am I going to
2: market this? people keep asking what a Marxist is so let me find a Marx scheme and I'll mark this quick <laughs> I feel like Neo when he popped the pill Matrix Marxist mine, but I'm still run of the mill interactionist Morpheus so not even a man made trinity can stop my free will <laughs> I realised the ruling class have put all over my eyes but I've become more than wise been working hard from 9 to 5 and sometimes I even work overtime <laughs> ok let's explain this properly for those people bored this game Marxist is just like Monopoly. The only difference is in real life, the bankers are getting away with stolen property. Fraud, embezzlement, <laughs> multi million daylight robbery. But here is what is the mockery. They then scapegoat the working class. What hypocrisy. Neo Marxists are not determining the mind, but they do mind Illuminati aristocracy that is doing everything to be stopping me. But my petit bourgeoisie with a get to keep scheme, so you better call me a new marquee, Marx and Prodigy. <laughs> How am I gonna market, this? Yeah, gonna market this? How am I gonna market this? Yeah, People keep asking what a Marxist is, let me find a Marx scheme and I'll mark this quick. Stuart Hall, policing the crisis, and you can cite this. Britain, 1970s, when the media hyped this. Repeatedly reported discourse that got the proletariat, so of course, of course, no remorse. Just more reports of muggers, working class sin, causing a collective fear of an enemy within. But within an economic decline, they was on the rise. That's why they needed folk devils to demonise. Rasta guys, me saying, oh, jar, no, you don't realise, so... How am I going to market this, yeah, this? It said, "How am I gonna market, this? Yeah, we, how you gonna
7: market
2: this?" People keep asking what a Marxist is, so let's find a mark scheme and I'll mark this quick. Thank you.) Right, last one I was going to quickly share is why why do I go by the name of Ghetto Geek? Um, In my AS sociology, I have to sort of teach a term that really um, frustrates me, but I have to teach it. Um, it, it's in reference to um, a unit called identity. And obviously we've got gender identity. We've got even like religious identity, age identity, all these different ones. But there's one little subsection called ethnic identities. And we look at things like hybridity, meaning a cultural clash of different groups of people that make up in society and so on and so forth. And there's a term by um, two individuals. These names, um, Joel and Baines. Joel is actually spelt J-O-H-A-L because a lot of people have been searching and it's not J-O-H-A-L. Joel, Joel and Baines, right? They're um, two Sikh sociologists who basically coined a term for um, sort of ethnic minorities, whatever that is. That's like black and Asians was the who they were focusing on in their studies. Explained that individuals that may look like me and talk like me are, according to this term, I have to teach them, someone who wears a white mask. I don't know about you, but I find that bloody offensive. Why can't they have other terms, like, I don't know, a black guy that's well-spoken, done, intelligent, eloquent? I've got a different term. What about the term, ghetto geek? Think about it. I'm a ghetto geek, straight from the depths of the streets. I can still roll deep and combine the grime with an intelligent tweak and drop them stone-cold Jane Austen flows and still compose a prodigy. you know is mobbed deep I Sense a sense of sensibility that will shake your pride and prejudice as you quote me you better take note of me I never Shook one, but my mind's a gun. My literary artillery is running through my capillaries, so... I'm a ghetto geek, ghetto ghetto geek. Straight from the streets, but with an eloquent speech. I'm a ghetto geek, ghetto ghetto geek. I keep my head down so I can reach the peak. So here's the brief. We're all born to receive this pronunciation, but certain circumstances may determine our articulation, but our heart ticks the same. Whatever your persuasion, if you want to succeed, you can join the Ghetto Geek Confirmation. Ghetto Geeks were just a clash of minds. No category in sociology If you yet to find. This ain't hybridity, but a hybrid sign of an urban deprived with an intelligent incline, so I'm... <laughs> i a ghetto geek, ghetto ghetto geek Straight from the streets, but with an eloquent speech I'm a ghetto geek, ghetto ghetto geek I keep my head down so I can reach the peak Okay, let's get down to the nitty gritty Ghetto's a poor neglected area of a city But geek is a knowledgeable, obsessive enthusiast so if combine those words, you get something quite witty, it's pretty and to the few that thought that was a deadline can't refute because ghetto geeks are in time, their deadlines. <laughs> Born on Edgeway got that GCSE, BSc degree in psychology, so that's a double G. I'm a ghetto geek, ghetto, ghetto geek. Straight from the streets, but with an eloquent speech. Say it. I'm a ghetto geek, ghetto, ghetto geek. I keep my head down so I can reach the peak. Thank you.
1: <laughs> He's just going like just grinning for a while microphone if you if you so oh, wish I my friend <laughs> i can't do that yet, can't. Do oh, oh. <laughs> anyway yeah, yeah. Um, no no <laughs> so <sorry. laughs> no awful. Um, just <laughs> j- just just so everyone knows the in joke. This that just went on there. Um, while I was up in Edinburgh um, working as a poet, we ended up me, Thomas Wu, and Jamie, who you may have seen earlier, um, ended up basically um, on top of the street uh, splitting bars, uh, and it was bars. like it, it was serious bars, and it was super damn fun, um, and like, had to had to make sure that I was on record. No, but
2: remember as well though, at Nostock we did um, the Simpsons scheme. <laughs> There was yeah. a lot of Simpsons scheming bars. You've a dropped a bar or two, so I'll just say, she came out on some fire as well. Just shout out to the con there, just done that. Yeah. Anyway.
1: It's
8: <laughs> absolutely
2: fine.
1: <laughs> it was good. Um, yeah, Andy. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to get into it because uh, you spoke about, you spoke a lot about um, just a lot of stuff that I've, I've seen speak about before, and I've thought about recently. Um, and obviously, coming back, I've seen you um, in the BBC Slam uh, in Edinburgh as well. Um, yeah, exactly. A lot of people, a lot of people saw you. Uh, and I'm just, I want to basically dig into what made you want to start basically uh, writing rap, and how you came to to rap as an art form, and then how you came to teaching through rap. Because I mean, like, if, yeah, rap, hip hop, and how did you get into that? And then how did you take um, that into the school?
2: I think I just used to just write at home. Um, to when I was listening to like a lot of Nas beats and songs yeah. and everything, that was what I grew up on. And I just, I was just using. I don't even know. To be honest, I was garage as well. I'm old school garage as well. So I was in between hip hop and garage music. And I used to just write lyrics to both of those things. That I was listening to those kind of beats while just making poetry written forms of work and everything. That was just my form of expression to deal with life. And then I started getting into parties and stuff, playing stuff like that. So that was just kind of like a really fun cultural experience to be like, well, we're always going to these parties. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to come up with these lyrics? So I I mixed both of those things one, to deal with stuff that I was going through, and two, as a form of like fun entertainment. And then um, I guess all of that kind of just was what I grew up doing. Um, And that was my, that's what kind of originated what I was kind of really enjoying. Yeah,
1: yeah, nice, nice. And then, uh, and then, so, how long were you teaching for before you thought, you know what, I'm a, going to switch it up in the classroom, <laughs> I'm going to like start pounding the table, set a cipher up. How long is it until you start, like, rapping
3: in do, the class?
2: Do you know what? Like, f- when I, I was a teacher assistant before I became a teacher, did that for a good few years and then went through a certain route where you can train while while working there. Yeah. Um, so when I was a TA, I was, I, I actually started when I was my third year of my degree, some voluntary work, but then when I was 21, um, I was a TA in, in a school in King, called Kingsbury High um, in Northwest London. And the first lines, I up actually- Northwest London. Northwest, North Freezy. The first lines I said to students when I was trying to get them to behave was, fix up, look sharp. <laughs> Kid you not, that was the first, line. and then the kids were like, huh? so, you know what I mean? Right. That was a period of time and I was like, and they were like, what? And it made them laugh, but I was like, I mean it. Fix up, look sharp. You know what I mean? And they were like, oh. and then I'd act what I'm telling them to do. So like get the pen out, or do you know what I mean? Sit down or put the blazer on or I'm doing like fix up, look sharp, or fix up, look sharp. You know what I mean? i would just always say those lines while non-verbally showing what they were meant to do. So then they just laughed and did it. Because, <laughs> because they were like, that's kind of cool, yeah. and you didn't have a go at me. You didn't tell me off, like shout at me. You, and uh, I know that song, uh, do you know what I mean like do you know what I mean and that, that's so. That's I, I started from day one using lyrics to manage behaviour. That's what it was all about for me, managing behaviour.
1: Yeah. Hey, well, very nice. Like, mm. so uh, I, I'm gonna in, like indulge me for a second. Uh, I was an awful, awful kid during like English class. Yes. Literally, like English class was the boring one, and there was a teacher who one time. Basically, like you know, she she'd heard one of the new rap songs, mm. uh, and she came in uh, and she tried to do it. She tried to be like, "Yo, guys, I'ma tell you about Jane Austen. Uh, She's so cool." And I'm just like, "Oh, it. Jesus!" No um, <laughs> full, full, <laughs> nah, full nah. context, like you know, 55-year-old, uh, like you know, Norwich-based elderly white woman, very very wonderful, mm, not not one for rapping. But you carry it off well, my brother. Like, yeah. i like, I enjoy it. And uh, and every time I've seen you, like, perform, we have a solid set of time, you always, uh, like, you pack in so much to such, uh, like, a, 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 such, like, accessible bit. You know what I mean? Like, so if you talk about the left realism, right realism view of, like, you know, crime and, and why people commit crime... Wonderful to see it like you know mapped out like that, yeah. uh, and then there was a neo line as well. So basically, carte blanche question. Um, just talk about like some of some of your favourite ideas and some of the favourite stuff you've written. I know you mentioned uh, being academically proud of uh, of the left and right realist one.
2: Yeah, um, the left and right realist one was because I think some of the other ones I was just doing out of fun. While well, this one, I think I was a bit more purposeful thinking, oh, sugar, I've got to deliver a lesson in the next couple of days yeah. and I really need to make something. And I was like, I've got to do it on this these two theories. And in fact, normally in a scheme of work, it should be over three lessons, those two things. You learn left, then you learn right, then you learn to compare them. And I was like, I'm running out of time in the curriculum. And it was such a wonderful buzz experience to my mates to sent us a beat. Um, and I was on the train like looking over notes yeah. and trying to like get my head around what I'm going to do with this resource. And then the beat just went bang, hit me, mm-hmm. and I was just like, oh my days. And it just came out. And it just came out. And then it, and it wasn't like, it, it, I knew I had to do it, but I didn't go like, I need to do this, so it wraps to that. I need to do this to map that. I just saw a story it came out, and then I was like, "Sugar, this is all based <laughs> on everything I've just been reading over in the last yeah. like hour or two on the train, and that beat is what infused it together. So um, that's why I also love it as well from that creative point.
1: Hey, very, like, wonderful explanation. Because <laughs> I, I think some of the some of the writers who are in here will definitely know. When you're for some reason on a train is a classic one. Don't know why, but uh, when you're when you're in a mode and the writing just hits you mm-hmm. and you end up just like rambling through it and through it and getting it down. And a lot of the time, it is a way to work out something you've previously been reading or previously been thinking. It's a great way to like uh, prove that you understand it to yourself mm-hmm. if you can get it out there in a way that people understand. And mm-hmm. obviously, that's part of what teaching is as well. Mm-hmm. Like have to know the stuff that mm-hmm. you teach. Um, and so, like, major respect on that because it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, how long have you been reading then on the poetry scene, um, moving away from like in the classroom? Because, you know. Um, what were we
2: now? About 15, 16 months. Um, yeah. It was April, uh, the, the April last year. Um, it was a bit of a random one. Is like, I've said this story so many times, but it's just, it's just random. I'm only here and right now because of all my students because they will like, ask, oh, sir, where do you perform your lyrics? Like, where do you, you know, where's your gigs? And I was like, we chat about it. I'm just making resources for my for my lessons and that um, and they were like I oh, know you should perform you should perform and everything and I did like their school prom which I just thought was so cheesy really? <laughs> I did get a geek at the school prom and that it was crazy it's so funny and these are six formers so they're like 18 and I was like wow, wow. but um, <laughs> and anyway but they, they made a I made a deal with them saying look if you um, get a certain grade in your A levels then I will I'll perform out Do
1: incentive you know
2: I mean? yeah incentive can I be honest with you? I was a bit mean. The, this is Kilburn, the school that I was at at that time, and it's a really sort of sort of economically, socially deprived area. Um, there's some really nice places off made of and like it's too, you know, anyway, Abbey Road. But like I mean, here, like it's down the road. But like you know, what I mean, where it was, and the predicted grades for most of the students I had for my A levels, they shouldn't even be doing the subject. They were predicted E's and D's. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their stretch grade. They were Some of them were retaking their GCSE English. And I was like, you're meant to get a B to even enter the course. How are they even on it? So when I said, look, if you get like a C or a B, I kind of most probably knew that they wouldn't, but I wanted them to try to push mm-hmm. for it, knowing that I wouldn't have to perform. And it backfired because... <laughs> one of them bloody got an A and Joe was absolutely amazing like she she got four grades high and everything and basically when I just saw it, I thought sugar man I've got to, I've got to actually follow my I've got fix to, up
1: look sharp sure, fix mate. up look sharp <laughs> do you
2: know what I mean I was just like damn Daniel <laughs> you know I mean? so then I was like okay yeah I've got to do this and I just typed away like Op- like poetry night whatever I knew of the Lyrically Challenge because I went there before like with my mate who was performing um, so uh, for I did those of you don't know
1: about Lyrically Challenge it's a night that it was, uh, was formerly run at Passing Clouds um, if you look up what's happening in Passing Clouds they're yeah. a great venue in East London who have basically uh, been shut down by mm. uh, property developers and they've been uh, unlawfully occupied Ooh. a couple of times now mm. so uh, to anybody who's watching this and wants to find out about Passing Clouds a great club uh, mm. of, w- of which there are many being shut down Look up Passing Clouds. Yeah. But yeah, locally Challenged the big Passing time. Clouds as well. Yeah, pick so up ABC
2: Angel. Um, that was one of the first people I saw. But then, um, so I did think, I think I did search that one because I knew of that one. No joy of when it was or whatever the timing and I wanted to try to do it in that week. Um, so I ended up just typing and eventually just found one and said, I'm um, Genesis Slam. And I was just like, cool, that's nearby to where I need to go, whatever. I didn't know at that time, Show my ignorance of what a slam was.
1: But you just went to it anyway, yeah? Yeah,
2: I just needed to find a place um, to perform and I did have a date at the time so I thought it would be quite ah. a cheesy che- a cheesy way to like um, take them to perform there. No? And <laughs> um, then I didn't realise... Did realize. you read at the slam? So yeah, I performed at the slam... <laughs> Um, and I I'd, I'd, I, was, I remember texting Sarah uh, emailing her just like what is a slam how does this work um,
1: sorry uh, Sa- uh, Sarah Hirsch is the sorry. woman that uh, runs the Genesis Poetry Slam uh, she's an incredible poet as well yeah.
2: yeah yeah, made to measure was sick at the fringe and um, and yeah she obviously being very nice but most people thinking like, I'm sure she wasn't but like what the hell of course this is how a slam works Do you know what I mean like it's a competition I didn't even know it was a competition but um that was just the first night I wanted to perform at um well I was available to and I wanted just to perform and that was the one I could see so that was the first ever time and that was in April
1: and have you found uh, have you found that your writing has changed uh, by being in the poetry scene? have you seen yourself writing in different ways or performing in different ways obviously because i mean mm. performing to a room full of like you know like, uh, what well, you teach secondary school yeah. so like it's sick form or Combination. Four, I'm now combination, teaching
2: yeah. from four to 18 and supporting. Wow. But, um, but, I'm not uh, sure
1: that a four-year-old might understand the interesting no, left and right realism. That,
2: that, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> that's going to be what I'm going to be. The new job that I've got will involve me. I've told them, look, give me this year five and sixes. And he said, yeah, within time, you'll work your way down the years. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, give me like five years before that's going to happen because I don't know how I'm going to do stuff for young kids.
1: Well, Use maybe being in word. the scene. well, like, you know, maybe you see more... People who read in the diff- I don't know. Yeah, but, no, uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: I don't know. I don't know. Lyrically, I, I like reasoning things, and you can't go on that level with. I've done it. I've done some of this stuff to like ten and nine year olds. Yeah, so that's year fours. But anything younger, I'm like, nah, mate. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And then what about uh, what about you in the in the poetry scene and how you've uh, seen your writing develop? Cuz basically I've seen the yeah. writing develop and I'm trying go to Go on, get help it me. Help me no, then.
2: No, no, no. <laughs> what do you see cuz I'm intrigued. Um, I, I don't, I don't, go on. Yeah, I'm really intrigued really? actually. Uh, okay, oh, yeah. I'm right, view
1: so uh, for a second. What do you see? Oh, mate, switch it up. no, oh, all right. no, no I'm joking sorry No, it's, no, it's good. So, um so, so when you um when I first saw you on the scene, it, it was like an early Genesis Slam. Um and I think it may have been the one you weren't even mentioning. Mm. Um and you know, your performance was you were so aware of yourself in a lot of like different ways yeah, you were uh, you, you were holding a lot back more mm. uh, and you, you weren't uh, the same sort of bombastic huge big dynamic performer that yeah, the, okay. the we've scene just has yeah. here um, but then also um, I only saw like you know I think it was two pieces that day mm. um, as I've seen you just write more and write more extensively yeah. with this whole kind of like Great uh, wordplay, the Marxist mark, yeah, market mark mark this quick, Marxist, all that stuff that like I'm vibing on, Mark Scheme, Uh, teacher lines. (laughs) There you go. Okay, but no, but battle rap as well. I'm
2: scheming on you, like when they say like Charlie Clips, and anyway, so it was a scheme.
1: We're gonna get off into battle rap (laughs) in a minute. (laughs) Battle rap.
2: (laughs) Okay, right. I totally agree. Like what you see now is how I am in my class. I was um, always scared amongst adults, so, so I always got along with the kids more. So that's me normally in my lessons. And what you mostly did see was me kind of going, oh my gosh, I'm performing to adults. I don't really like you guys, kind of <laughs> looking at me. You know what I mean, I'm sorry, but I was like, I don't like it. I feel more judged. You know what I mean, that's what I felt like, but with the kids, I just feel like I could be an idiot and they were totally cool with me being that, and that's me. And they're they're cool and they totally like, I feel safe there. Do you know what I mean? So I've, I've lo- that means I feel safe now, if, if that's what you're seeing
1: now. In a room full of poets, man, we we, we all understand <laughs> the, the oddities of jumping up on a stage and yeah. believing that, you know, you have something to say that's worth listening to. Yeah. But, you know, you you rock a stage fairly well, my friend. Oh, bless you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, no, indeed. no,
2: I feel confident as a teacher. Everyone says that. Like I, so, so now what I do is I, I come into sets like this and I, I see it without sounding patronising like guys and my pupils. If I see it as a, if I'm a teacher and I'm just teaching my lessons, then you see what you see today. Mm-hmm. But if I see it as I'm performing poetry to adults, then it all goes peak-tongue.
1: All that being said, you switched it up for your first poem. You took yeah. it down and like, you know, you, no, no, no. Okay, so I, I think we can all agree <gasps> that it was, oh, no, no. <laughs> don't be vulnerable. Come to a round of applause because it was a great poem. Mm. Yes. yes Really. Yeah. There you go. No, it's a it's a really good thing to be able to to see you be comfortable in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously, you know, I've seen you in a festival setting recently, which so I've seen you at open mics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then now seeing you at a night like this, a little bit more chill, a little bit more. Um, you had a longer time, so you could actually, like, you know, maybe play with it a couple mm. of new things. When you think about what you're going to do here and the conversation, what was like, running through your yeah. head? What did you like want to talk about? Because we're coming up to the end. Can Yeah, like, no. Two more questions. No, what, I think what, you've
2: what like, you like dressed loads of little things. And um, one little joke. One um, uh, is the theory I have behind sociology and rap. Like, uh-huh. like I'm I'm in the process of making a book, an anthology that will be a revision guide. Going to get endorsed by OCR and and really going to push that to be an academic book, so it will be in for college students to use. It's not just oh, this is cool, fun. It's academic.
1: Is it going to be one of the really overpriced ones?
2: Well, what is overpriced? Because <laughs> I'm still doing like focus group market research to find that. I'm going to market this. No, no, yeah. but I'm jeez uh, <laughs> <laughs> But do you know I mean yeah? Now I've got. To, I've, it's going to take away my soul. I've already um, um, given up a, a really good job. Um, in so many different ways to pursue this dream, and therefore, I'm working part time and gonna be hustling to try and make more money while having, therefore, free time to make this. So, you know, I wouldn't mind a little return in, in a year or two's time for the the the, the risk of taking a chance and denying myself that financial freedom that I, I used to have. Yeah, I'm a geek, my friend. Yeah, like <laughs> it's an
1: impressive way of doing it, and uh, yeah, so, I admire that because yeah. that takes a lot of strength to be able to say, right going to pursue this mm. i'm going to lock myself in and i'm going to work at this mm. and it's a, it's a great project i look forward to you know hopefully seeing mm. seeing that book in the in the stores yeah, no, yeah? No, no, no.
2: that's 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 the key for me really I think game plan that, yeah that, that's something i'm really passionate about because i didn't realize the impact that other students have even there's students that i have never even taught they've used the teachers have used the resources and i'm like wow this is something that's unique so i'm um, <laughs> i'm really Quite excited about that because that would be really cool to be able to leave that behind for my two little boys and say, yeah, he's got a little, that he's got a little book for you. You know what I mean? That'd be cool.
1: That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Aye, man. Uh, No, 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 no. Hold hold on, hold on, hold on. on. Seriously, <laughs> I
2: don't
1: know. How it is, no, no, no. We, we have a final, you like, know, the kicker question, the, oh, the last right. little question, right? So um, we, it's a little thing we do here at the pad. Um, we are interested in the full spectrum of the creative process, yeah. And so, being able to have these events perched at the pads with the lyrical and then whatever we have, mm. lyrical, critical, improvisational, mm. and you, my friend, educational. Mm.
9: Yeah.
1: How would you describe your creative process? That's the question.
2: That's what was thinking yeah um, I guess I, I look back at my childhood experiences everything that I kind of write um, is based on unfortunate things that I've witnessed and seen a lot of people never really believe those stories and that's cool but um, there were some really quite raw experiences that I've um, seen that you shouldn't see and those stories I use and they inspire other stories that make up things that you hear um, so I always have issues about whatever I experienced and saw and personally had when I was growing up and those little moments flash and then they spark a narrative that creates my piece of writing
0: Man no
1: one's heard There that it one is before, bloody yeah. Round of applause Thomas the floor you
0: that was poetry at the pad if you want to find out more about what those guys are up to then you can find them on facebook and twitter at the pad tv and if you want to find out more about what we're up to then you can find us at lunar poetry podcast on facebook tumblr and soundcloud or on twitter at silent underscore tongue uh, and all of our episodes now are available on itunes for apple users and stitcher app for android Next up is the absolutely wonderful poet and performer Andra Simons. Um, I first saw Andra read at one of the Poetry Library's special event, edition events, and it was great to be able to sit down with him and talk a bit more about the topics raised at that event. You can find out more about Andra's work over at www.andrasimons.wordpress.com Here's Andra.
10: Daughters Dead starlings Bizarre Mrs. Knight's seven eyewitnesses heard the impact. The ground's instinct is to swallow terrifying blood. Dead starlings, beaks intact, litter like lost footage of that Hitchcock film. Omens displaced on a Sunday lawn. The Royal Society for Fowl admit there are odd things in the universe. Dozens awaiting results all the starlings are waiting hardwired hundreds nurse the frightened corpses 53 year old expert baffled even in somerset they are beyond sleep starlings once danced now the dead are adamant they want coordinated protection they all had flown landed Curled in her front garden, 3.6 metres long, starlings arrived out of the sky, who would have whispered onto the slipstream, collide, fall.
0: Thank you, Anya. Oh. Um, hello. Well, hello. Welcome well, well, to the podcast. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to do a little bit of a warning for people listening, they might, I think it's the school run outside, so there's going to be, probably going to be a lot of kids walking
10: past and chatting, but it'll be... Okay. I actually I really love that yeah, sound. Yeah, <laughs> I have it right next to my flat okay. at three and you hear that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. better
0: than the, because uh, we've got um, a dog exercising area at the back, so oh, okay. quite often it's just um, Staffies chasing uh, poodles around. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, um, so I first saw you read or talk at a poetry library, um, yes. and it was called Queer Poets on Teaching. and. What sparked me my interest most in chatting to you not only was your work, but there was a, a question about identity. And since you're introducing your work, it might be a good place to start on how you identify. And just to obviously, we both know what we were talking about. Just to recap for people listening, the question towards the end was, at what point and would it be progress if um, the term queer poet would become obsolete? And mm-hmm. I suppose that in the questioner's mind was that. That would be a sign, a positive sign, in that people wouldn't have to uh, claim their queerness first. Yeah. But
10: yeah, I, I guess I identify as a queer black poet, um, and I'm, uh, we've talked about this, but I'm, I'm quite clear that the clear that the queer is first, and and black second, and and then poet, and there's so many other things that could fall probably before you get to poet, but (laughs) in terms of poetry, it's queer black poet. Um, And I guess it's important for me that those things are identified because they're, it's those two things that run through my work Um, and other things that run through my work um, in terms of identity is, you could throw in queer black island poet, queer black Black Bermudian poet, um, queer Black Island fat poet—you know—all <laughs> those things can be thrown thrown in because all those things constantly reappear <laughs> in my work. Um, island Islandness, if you want to say, coming from a small community surrounded by water, the um, somewhat a uh, Caribbean-like culture. Um, But that islandness of of loneliness, being uh, uh, a queer black boy, um, feeling, um, you know, a tight-knit community, but still feeling quite islanded in that, othered in that. Um, Yeah, so... That's where my identity sort of falls, and and I I do I and I'm serious when I say I throw in the fatness because, because I mean quite early you know what I mean um when you don't have when you grow up in a majority black culture then black blackness is part is is the underlying identity but things like being fat um and that being a marker placed on you you then begin to see the world your world becomes skewed through that and how other people relate to you become. Skewed through that, and um, so yeah, it's um, it's I find that here size uh, in the in the UK size is something very it's it's uh, it's uh, yeah I, I don't really want it to run into ideas around size <laughs> but it's 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 quite a it's a whole nother beast <laughs> um uh, and whereas size is a beast in him as well but. It, here it's like you're talking about um, elephants and, and the noise elephants can make, and and, and there okay you, you might be talking about um, horses, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a it, it's, There's a difference, and and but anyway. As your view thinking. on since you because we
0: hadn't actually spoken about this, yeah. sort of physical identity uh, previously, but mm-hmm. um, has your relationship to you, your physicality changed in terms of your writing since you've come to London? Has it, has that changed since you've left Bermuda, or?
10: Uh, about my physical, no, it hasn't changed. It has changed. Mm. Yes. It, it, it definitely has changed. Um, uh, in Bermuda, in, in Bermuda, sorry, when I was throwing it out and using it as part of the work. It, you were hearing knowing, knowing uh, responses coming back. There's always at least half the audience that sort of were probably the fat kid in the family, but yet um, fatness didn't deter you. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a marker. Um, and you would still allow it to be beautiful and sexy and vivacious if you are bigger. Um, and you saw examples of it all around you. Um, here it's 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 a it's a different thing. So, so I don't hear those um, validating sounds coming back from the audience or or people who read the work. Um, and it, it was it, there's something political about using or referencing size, um, yeah, and referencing queerness is still political here. I think, especially when you're. When you're black and black queerness is is um, invisible here I think in the UK um, so yeah um, yeah so
0: it's interesting that you talk about the invisibility of black queerness over here and yeah. I just wanted to go, go back to what we what we've spoken about before about the reasons behind identifying as a queer black poet rather than, yeah. than the other way around and then if you it might be easier I don't want to leave it too much because you give quite a good explanation as to why that is so maybe you could explain that a bit and then we can get on to talking about the differences over here with black uh, yeah
10: I well I mean coming from Bermuda uh, and with the majority black population examples of black queerness is everywhere you know there's the neighbourhood dyke there's the Um, you know, the town sissy, you know, (laughs) they're they're all walking around and you're, and you know, uh, your family knows them and they may point them out and they may, you don't want to be like that, you know, or, you know, they have stories that, you know, are there to either scare you or entice you to secretly meet these people in dark alleys. Um, (laughs) but, um, uh, and then you, when you come, when I come to a place like here, or I've lived in Canada as well, Canada was the first place that I learned of queer black or queer people of color's invisibility. Um, I, my first boyfriend was, a, was an older white man. Um, and we would go out to particular, every Saturday night, we would go out to these clubs. And um, he had this particular route he liked to take. And we all started in this one pub that was just lined with black and white pictures around the walls. And instantly I noticed there was no people of color in these pictures. There were all these muscle torsed muscle torsed men all around, and you know, in all sorts of positions on beaches and all sorts of things. <laughs> and you just, and I was looking for, I was new, as first of all, I was new to the community and I was looking for images that look like me, and I didn't see them. And then I remember we got in a bit of a an argument, because I was saying, I hate this place. Like, I found that, I found I didn't belong, because I just didn't see any images of myself. And I was like, it's hard for me to feel sexy and beautiful, I mean then that's what it was about i was boiling it down to i wanted to feel sexy and beautiful i wanted to feel wanted in the club you know (laughs) and i felt like how can i feel wanted in a club if if every if what you deem is beautiful is put up on your walls is is people who look like me um and then moving over here and then i went back to bermuda which is a very different thing because i went back to bermuda and there were these clubs with these fantastic black drag queens, and the floors filled with uh with uh these fin- spirited black people moving on the floors, and uh, you know, and the way they sort of would um take reggae music and and um subvert it by you know playing boom bye bye, but you know winding and twisting and you know simulating sex with each other. You just felt like this is. Revolutionary and and knowingly doing what what they were doing, they purposely would do that, you know. Um, and then I moved here, and uh, and once again, it's it's uh, you just don't yeah, you just don't see those images as much. Um, and also, I think here I was, I grew into the whole or I. I saw that people don't perce- they don't perceive that you may be gay or that even that, gayness exists amongst Black people. <laughs> it's it's a weird thing. There's this sort of complete unknowing or or ignorance. Oh, you definitely m- wouldn't
0: be the first guest on this uh, on the podcast to talk about similar things. You know, yes, and, yeah, and, and UK born um, uh, people. Saying the same thing as well, like yeah. the, just that invisibility of um, and and this, this notion that yeah, it wouldn't even be a question as to whether you're gay or queer in any way, yeah, because because of the colour of
10: skin. Um, so yeah. I, I, I would just jump. I mean, I saw a TV program once, but Stephen came as the comedian did this. I mean, it was it was very light, but it was looking at. You know, he he went to Jamaica, and he went. Uh, and, he, and the UK and comparisons, and um, yeah, and it, it just wasn't, in, and it, it wasn't in an in-depth sort of look or discussion about it. But there was this little sort of um, experiment on the streets of Manchester, if I believe, or it could have been Liverpool or something, where he had eight people, all of them. He had one uh, Asian man, one black man, and the the other six were white and he just had people walking and and then he got everybody to ask who was who they thought was the gay man out of the eight man and the only gay man out of the eight was the black man hmm. and 100% none of them thought the black man was the gay man and I oh, and and that was well that's a whole lot of issues around that just the the uh, um the portrayal of the, that, that hyper-masculine black male that's out there, and hyper-masculinity is not equivalent to um, gayness or queerness, um, and when I say that, I'm talking about how people perceive, and uh, yeah, and I, I think, anyway, so it was, uh, that that was an example of something, it was just sort of, in a way, validated what I said was already mm-hmm. experiencing. Six yeah. white
0: men, an Asian man, and a black man sounds like the lineup of most BBC panel shows. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, <laughs>
10: and I'm always <laughs> going, which one's the, which one's the gay one? Yeah. No. <laughs> um, is it
0: because of this issue that we're talking about now, the in- invisibility? Is that why you're so? Is this another reason that you're so keen to um, hold it. on to the? Label? That's exactly do you, it. Do you feel obliged almost? That's to, exactly to, it.
10: To, yeah. um, uh, when I go on stage. Uh, I, something comes over me that I have to assert my identity quite clearly. Yeah. I refuse to go on stage and have someone either uh, through assumption assume that I'm one thing um, and I'm there to clarify it, whether they ask to be clarified or not, or I'm there to command a space and say, this, is I'm here and I... I have something to say, and you're going to listen. Um, you're already paid to listen anyway, <laughs> or you're already there to listen anyway. And, and uh, I'm giving you a perspective, and it's my personal perspective. And um, I, in a way, I want you to be clear about it. And, and I've been doing that for I've been doing that for so long in Canada. I I really had this thing where I would be. Uh, um after we went into these sort of divy places again this and you you would presume they were you know they were they were playing pool and you know <laughs> and it was beer going and it was often college kids around and and um you know and it would get up front and I would have this perm and i just um you know start sort of screaming, you know, I Take dick, you know or whatever, you know, and, and it was it was this sort of thing that was I don't know what would come over me. I would just, it wouldn't be on my list of things to to read, but I would find that I would do it because I had to. I felt like I had to, um, make a statement, and uh, and it was it's never been about shocking, but it's about saying I exist, and if I exist, there are loads of other people that are similar that exist. Um it,
0: and, is there part of you that's shouting at other people that identify in the same way are yes. you shouting over, perhaps sometimes shouting yeah. over the crowd and trying yes
10: to reach, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you, and you what's most interesting to me is post-show uh i find it a bit here but it happened a lot when i was in canada where i would i would read and i would have straight man or men who I perceived were identifying as straight or who would tell me they were um, who would approach me afterwards to talk to me about my work very few times have I had gay men do it um, I still I'm still actually baffled by that and actually sort of saddened <laughs> uh, but I, I but I would have often um, either uh, lesbians or straight men approach me afterwards um, to talk about my work or Admire the work in some way, or connect with the themes, some of the themes in it, and I, I always was was interested in that phenomenon for some reason with me, and I still in some way
4: get that. But I mean,
0: I think we're going to take a reading shortly, a second reading, but and I'd like to come on to talking about the performance side thing. Yeah, but it, it does seem like you know that when you mention that idea of islandness or Yeah, that's pretty universal, isn't it? Yeah, yes, once you get yeah. talking into in terms of isolation, yeah. pr- most people can relate to that, and it's a yeah. really strong tool, isn't it? Yes, to, I think to engage so, yeah. people in and I think that's subject. what it is, yeah.
10: and also in kind at of the time I used to actually talk about a lot of the work was the islandness, um, but that islandness that was, but why did that, that 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 solo or feeling lonely and alone? um uh Rooted in abuse, physical and sexual abuse, which I don't, I do a bit of today, but not as much as I did then. And also, there was a lot of men who were connecting to that and finding sort of solace in the fact that another man was mentioning those things. And so, um, there are all sorts of, I guess, other themes that's in the work that people really, um, which is what you want, really. I mean, this this queerness, but this we all know this. Queerness comes in every It's multifaceted and and then other people should see reflections of themselves yeah. in that.
0: Um yeah, we'll take a second reading please.
10: Okay. Being weird doing queerness <laughs> Um This one's called Long Live the Queen. They came, those that love like us. They came to marvel at all you had left behind. The glitter in your palms, the glam in your gat-up-and-go, they came in ones and twos with undry eyes, darling boys biting their lips to stop from kissing you, adieu one more time. In a tailored coffin that never grew into a perfect fit, you unwittingly became the burden of men too familiar with your scent. We walked behind, clutching your box of fables, reaching for delivery, salvation you promised. They do not want us where you are going, so we measure every man by their weight in hydrated lime and in the inches of March rainfall. We capture thrown baited glances, lures into a mangled embrace. I'm sweet. For the sway of winds without sorrow past our church door By and by, Lord I seized your fading swirl As it slid up and under graveyard fissures Around your fringed six-foot peat gown We sang, it's all right To step ahead with arms around each other's cinched waist Awed at the tiny spaces between each dripping ghost For a thousand more of us, in comfort they came, those that love. Thank you very
0: much. Um, I'd like to go on to talk about your performance background Mm -hmm. as well and how important that side of things is to your work and how you first got into performing.
10: The roots of every sort of thing, the writing, everything I had goes back to performing and performing as a, a young kid um, as someone who loved dance and I wanted to be a dancer and I wanted to follow my mother's footsteps in dance. and dance um, and then there was a point where I thought I'm too fat to dance <laughs> and so then I went into the next thing which was well, if I, I can't dance, then maybe I can act. And I, you know, I acted a bit, you know, as you do. Where <laughs> um, really you sort of, that yeah, way really inclined. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, uh, and then I went and studied theatre in school. Um, all along, I had always written. Again, my mom, my mom was huge influence. And so my mom when I was very young, used to write with me and we used to have little competitions so that's a hat, who can write the best poem about a hat or um, those sorts of things. And so I was always writing as a teenager, I actually wrote quite a lot. Uh, and then during theater school, I had written some and, uh, and when I graduated or just before graduating, my acting coach had took me in a room um, and he had said, Basically, it's going to be difficult out there for you uh, as a black Bermudian actor in the Canadian um, theater landscape. It's going to be d- difficult because I was struggling with accents and everything at the time. And he says, and he was, and he basically said, you have to create your own work. Um, the work may be there, but if you want to work constantly, create your own work. And I Took that to heart, and I immediately afterwards um, left theater school. Uh, met someone else who wrote. Uh, she was dating some a musician who was friends with musicians, and we created a band um, that was called Stumbling Tongues. The, the woman was uh, Sandra Allen and Garth and Grant Keen with the two brothers, the musicians. And that was my, that's what I did while I was in Canada. And then I started uh, moving into writing for the page, but always maintaining a performance element. Uh, and when I went to Bermuda, I, I did a one person uh, sort of choreo poem, because sometimes an ass is going to shake the load off his back. And, and then I continued to, to perform through that also had a band as well, and then I came here and I had a performance, a uh, uh, sort of performance uh, duo with with a drummer named Stafford Um, he played a drum kit and I sort of performed with that, and but at the same time always trying to keep them theatrical, um, an element of them theatrical, and yeah, so I st- I still I still perform. Um, I've moved a bit into video as well. Did,
0: it, did the performance and writing, the acts of performing and writing, do they still running parallel, or if they, they diverge at all?
10: What's different now? The difference is is then I would write for performance. Now I write for the page and then translate that into perform onto the stage, so I don't necessarily think about writing for performance anymore. I write for the page.
0: Why do you think that is? What's different I actually
10: now? enjoy the challenge of writing for the page. I enjoy the beauty of, I enjoy the beauty of creating for the page, and, and you know, there's this white space and this. Um, and it's it's sort of like this bottomless pit of for language, you know, and and um, all the nuances that could that you can capture on the page. I just, I just love that, um, you know, how you could shape it and structure it, I, and the editing process. I love I love all that element for the page, and then the next. And then once I do that, then the other challenge is how do I bring that um, to life on the stage, which isn't as difficult as I would think it is, <laughs> because I think I more and more I tend to write almost monologues, and so transferring that to the stage doesn't isn't a big leap for me. Mm. Um, but then around that is how can I do more of that? How can I bring in movement? Because the dancer in me isn't gone. I still want to be the, the dancer, the fat dancer, and um, I still want to, you know, feel like I'm floating, and um, you know, there's that part of me that you know wishes I was Nina Simone, and so I'm going to sing, whether you like it, hear it or not, you know, and and um, yeah, so all of that is 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 there, uh, you know, working with artists who i give them if they're making a video for me or the um making a costume i might give a small hint of something and then i would say run away with it and and i'll fit into that you know <laughs> like i would rather that represent that and then how can i work with what they've given me rather me say i I want to paint something, but I want to be mm-hmm. black, blue, da-da-da-da, I want you know... So
0: your performance stuff, is, it's quite collaborative now. Is it
10: uh, because it's the- the- theatre's collaborative, yeah. and so, I, I'm because I'm still rooted in theatre, because I don't, I work best collaboratively, even when I'm writing solo, I like the action of, and I don't find that a lot here in London, but I like the action of, Writing a piece of something, then taking it to a group of friends, reading it, seeing what they think, going back and working on it again, and and having. And so I remember thing. that from the Poetry Library? I think you made that. So part did I as talk well about it? Yeah,
0: because hadn't you all met on the panel?
10: Uh, yes, there, we were that, in that an, an Arvon, yeah, like queer sort of week of writing, and we had all um, met. This was several years ago, and it was it was probably in the UK my most creative period quite a lot of work came out of that period um, but it was a, a week dedicated to and uh, and I I just I love that that spirit I mean that's something that um, music and and film and theater as art forms have is it's um it's integral to how they operate um and writing doesn't necessarily have that so do you think um do
0: do, do you have any uh, ideas even if you've never mentioned to anyone else before as to why writers might be a ri a, a little bit reluctant to get into that process
10: I think because so much of writing is thinking, and i I think I once heard I don't know who to credit it to, but I actually was <laughs> heard a quite an established, I believe he was an African writer. Um, and he was, and he said 90% of writing is thinking. I was like, Oh, that's quite, you know, (laughs) Oh, it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's what I do. You know, like I tell people I'm writing, but actually I'm thinking, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and it's, and then, and then when that 10% comes, you never know when it's going to come. And, um, you can't really gather people to sit around, and you can to think a bit, but even brainstorming, you still have to go away and allow those things to, to germinate and stuff. And um, so, yeah. Like yeah. That. So I think that might be half the reason, like so many writers need quiet. I don't like, I actually like noise. I need, I like to, I need to focus. So I need the noise to make me focus. Um, but I know so many of my friends that like wake up very early and everything has to be really quiet or or they write best when they take a retreat in Wales or Ireland or Spain or you know, somewhere really quiet. And um or Davin. And uh <laughs> and uh and yeah, and I think that may that may be part of it, though though I think that's changing. I think having a spoken word scene in particular, and will you see each other regularly because you're on the scene and you're performing on the scene um and you're hearing other people read and then you're you're almost somehow responding to what you hear that in a way is 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 collaborative, even though it's not formalized yeah no, yeah. yeah I definitely agree with that there's yeah
0: defi- there's a a very definite conversation happening isn't there, yes, yeah spoken word events yes you know, yeah whether, definitely whether you want
10: to enter it or not if yes. you're listening you are yes. part of it aren't you you know that's yeah. inevitable I mean I used to run a spoken word night in Bermuda ran for three years and I part of that conversation again you'll hear someone get up and read and I'll pull something if I didn't like what they had to say I'll pull something out of my little collection my pile of papers that was in direct sort of response to so that, oh, I'll write something the next week, and that was that, and other people would do the same, and I really, that period, was, it was a fantastic period, it really was, um, people were talking to each other, and in an interesting way, and you were able to, because you were writing it, you were able to get your point across um, often clearly, um, but yet, it they, they got the mind fired, as well um, yeah I mean it was
0: it was definitely that element of um of you you explaining how keen you were to talk which I, I really wanted to have you on here for a chat because it's um I mean I wouldn't have started this podcast if I didn't think it was vital for people to talk about their work um because some and I think it's important to uh remind people as well, that you can be part of the conversation just by listening, can't you? You don't yeah. have to actively engage, but th- th- it's just a shame that there aren't that many po- points you know, because enough people are willing to have a conversation it's yes. just difficult to get to that point yes. and listen yes. and, or find find those uh, things to talk about I think, though, we may be running out of time, so okay. we might have to take the last reading, please.
10: Okay, yeah oh, uh, let me okay, this one's called Anka okay. On days that seemed as imperfect as they were sunny We knew him by the sound of his limp He was Mama's favourite babe born nine months before her It is rumoured that he so fought to stay within Grandma The midwife, dedicated and determined, damned his legs to pry him out We could hear his intoxicated jazz shuffle coming up the hill a tall, looming sundial, ticking on fate's window. He was bleached oats soaked in whiskey for color, his hair unwoven threads of a kin's tapestry, always beating on our panes tentatively like a stranger. Strange, mamma never seemed home for his visits, and I tentatively would open. He would come in and sit. I, too afraid of this apparition of manhood to speak, chose to stare, hoping that somehow I could infuse in him a spirit worth breathing. Like the onions he ate as apples, like his fingers which coiled around half-empty bottles, why is it that man always had half-empty bottles? He marinated slowly, with his head lowered, sitting silent, dripping, melting and decaying. It's funny how kitchens become parlours for the dying, when life is all we have left to devour. Thank you very much, Akin. Thanks for joining me. Thank you.
0: Finally for today's episode, um, a collection of recordings taken from the 20th anniversary celebrations for Poetry Unplugged. And for those of you that don't know, Poetry Unplugged is a weekly open mic night, usually held at the Poetry Café in Covent Garden in central London, though from now until spring 2017 will be held at the Betsy Trotwood, which is a pub on Farringdon Road, whilst the Poetry Café is refurbished. Um, For more information about the night and how to get to the temporary venue, Uh, Go to Poetry Unplugged on Facebook or email poetryunplugged at gmail.com. The basic premise behind the anniversary night was that the three main hosts from the past 20 years all invited some regular uh, readers from their respective eras. The event was split into three sections, um, each hosted by one of the three regular hosts, And I've done the same on here so that you can keep some sort of track of who is reading and in what order. First up, it's John Citizen, who was host from 1996 to 2001, and he invited along Paul Bertle, Dean Wilson, Tim Wells, Jason King and Tamsin Kendrick. And this section ends with John reading himself.
4: Who's who? Father Michael has explained to me how we won't have our bodies in heaven. Just our souls. And I said, how will we recognise everyone? Know who we're talking to? Jesus Christ or Bernard Manning? (laughs) St. Peter or Walt Disney? John the Baptist or John Wayne? Francis of Assisi or Enoch Powell? Mahatma Gandhi or Fred Astaire? Mother Teresa or Lucille Ball? Stop it, stop it, you'll know, he said. You'll just know. (laughs) City Life. Being an urban poet, I didn't write any poems when I visited the Lake District. Even walking round Wordsworth's cottage and seeing his beautiful garden where he wrote daffodils didn't inspire me. No, only when I got back to London and saw a car accident did I start writing again. <laughs>
11: right here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with a poem that is so good it could save you from serious injury
12: or even death. <laughs> never stand on a deck chair. No, never stand on a deck chair. A friend of mine once did and it collapsed beneath her. It collapsed beneath her. Never stand on a deck chair, no, never stand on a deck chair A friend of mine once did and now she's only got one little finger Only one little finger Never stand on a deck chair. No, never stand on a deck chair. A friend of mine once did, and now she's got a phobia, a terrible phobia. And all because, on a whim, she decided to give her hanging basket a trim. So please, please, please beware and never, ever, ever, ever stand on a deck chair. Thank you. Good night. God bless. <laughs>
13: This next one is about um, an artiste wanting to push a piano off of a tower block in Poplar. Because that's art, people. (laughs) This is called Oxton Market Forces because Oxton was better before it had an H. A piano teeters on the edge of the top floor Balfour Tower. The seconds before it plummets, electricity of coming rent rises, runs for the assembled tenants. Gone are the aerosoled classic cotton balls. Paintbrush football teams, artists are the rats that herald the plague. A stab local ad's claret is tweeted, self-read, and playlisted. The job centre now a bar where trust funds flaunt their edge. Irony is when I don't have the balls to flick two fingers to our face, yet they're two fingers still. The piano powers down as our rents soar up. The crash is a certain music, a cacophony of notes, pound notes.
7: Hi, good evening. It's good to be back, seizing past glories, arresting the future. Christ, it's hot, I'm burning up. Have you got anything to breathe? They don't make men like they used to. They don't grow them around stones. They don't lock them up early enough. Paint the windows, plug the keyhole, chain them to the tracks and hammer, hammer, hammer. Build up the transformation to a beast of burden. As a manly virtue, men have been neglected. They're comedians now. My mate has enormous eyes. In fact, they're inflatable. Naturally, I've now moved out to the suburbs. I live a life of quiet domesticity now. I drive a cliche. It gets me from A to B. And after the first thing, the second thing, the third thing brought up the rear, which made me think the end was coming. But it didn't, and my bets left me bankrupt. It's been a poor year or two, wriggling down with the bandits. I've had my temperature taken by a syringe, I've become quite bad to know. I don't know if I should apologise and if I should, if it was my fault. What should I do with this postal order signora? Why did you send it? Desperate times call for desperados and desperados beg for duct tape and steroids. And I'm legging it with my myopathy. Trying to make me my fever's a pony. If only you knew. How half bad. How it gets, Signora. The bandits are nervous wrecks. They're shanty and golden tackle. They're dynamite feathers in spinach. They're the air in my paper bag. I don't know what they're going to do next. I don't know if I'll make it to Scotland. They pulp pomegranates and shred sweet motorbike music and I've thrown my towel down by their fire I've knitted their doughnuts I've shot holes in their bread and there is something dismantling in the air signora choose your weapon of belligerence. Um,
14: so this is a bit of a, a tribute so I've been here for about um, been around for about 16 years the sort of tail end of John's reign. And uh, this is dedicated to objectum sexuals, so these are people who fall in love with objects or buildings or structures. There's some beautiful romances, with things like the Eiffel Tower going on. And this is called The Poetry Cafe, A Love Story. (laughs) We met on Betterton Street, me, sweet seventeen, a waif, a babe, notebook clasped in my trembling hand, one look from your ampersand eyes, I was sold, I was done, and so we begun. I've drunk in you, been nude in you, pissed in you and been lewd in you, I've drawn on walls and broken chairs, I've spit on tables and tripped on stairs, I've grown up in you, grown wise in you, made mistakes in you, and cried in you. I've been paid and I've done it for free. And what for, you ask? Well, poetry. For the page poets and stage poets, may they live in peace and harmony. For the spoken word delivery, the ecstasy and the misery. Love poems, hate poems, and let's not forget the worm poems. Why, for the words that spoke me, fleshed me out and woke me in hollow rooms and industrial floors bespoke me, quincux, tyrannical, crepuscular, in you and offing, coronial and corvid. And I ask nothing but that it carries on this place, this poem, that it has not just me as a lover and carry on for another 20.
3: I used to this poem here when I first started out, and I haven't done it for ages. I don't know if I can remember it, but anyway, I'll try to remember it, and it's called The Library of Love. <laughs> um, remember it. I, remember it. Um, I was out of date, antiquarian. You dusted me off. You're the librarian. My pages were loose. I was unwinding. You stapled me together because you are my binding. Frightened to wear my heart on my sleeve blurb. Too many nouns, you were the verb. The end of my lines were well overdue. You paid all my fines because you can renew. And when I wanted to be alone, you took me out. I was at a loss leader. You are my proofreader. When no one credited me, you edited me. And when critics rubbished me, you published me. From the shelves below to the shelves above, you're the librarian in the Library of Love. Thank you. Thanks,
0: section two was hosted by Cole DeMant, who ran the night from 2001 to 2005. And Cole invited along Graham Buchan, Daryl Walsh, John Stiles, Jeremy Quinn, and Project Adorno. And as with the first section, this one ends with the host reading a poem. Montaigne's
9: cats with acknowledgments to Sarah Bakewell's How to Live a Life of Montaigne. Yes, Miss Bakewell, I am tempted to zip out a paw and snatch at the quivering quill as it spiders across the page. But he is intent, and therefore content, and I am therefore content. And he cuddles me, one of the little selves, one of the little eyes. And we are here in this solid stone wooden room with the funny writing on the beams and I see he is chasing down his digressions much as I sometimes chase down the pattering feet of a field mouse or a dry leaf blowing in the yard. And I see he is cramming the margins, thought tumbling after thought as the dust motes hang, weightless in the level afternoon light. And he is intent, and therefore content, and he cuddles me, one of the little selves, one of the little eyes. And in a hundred years there will be a boy called Bach, and in two hundred a machine called the guillotine.
15: Um, This is called London. It's a bit serious. I can feel you under my nails as I wash grease from my hair, smell you on arrival at Piccadilly, 8.58 a.m. Taste your bitterness in the pints of lager in the early closing, in the predictable rain. Clog up my pores, empty my pockets, confuse, consume, make me late, enlighten me, show me the way, explain. I listen to your hum, screeching cars, helicopters, sirens, a dazed pedestrian. I can feel your pain, your warmth, your coldness. You're as moody as my mother at Christmas. We sit glumly on the tube, mind the gap obediently, stay to the right on escalating escalators, taste you on my smoky breath and wipe you off with cotton wool just before bed, embrace you like a long-lost lover. Until you disappoint once more. Oh, thank you.
8: First poem I'd like to read um, is, it goes like this. Was in the kitchen with the fridge light on When I seen the old fella from next door Go by with his head down Holding on to a wheelbarrow full of gourds The cat was after him with his tail in the air and the old fellow was holding on to hose and spraying it all over hell's half acre was kill this weed kill that weed pitch gourds in the barrow. and then i seen his old scritch wife in her nighty her arse looked like two kids fighting under a blanket she said when he was done spraying them pear trees and gourds was his fine self ready to get back inside cuz she was going to show him a thing or two about loving and when he seen me glowing like a friggin' strobe light, he stood right up, stiff and embarrassed, and said, Them tent caterpillars are dropping off the pear trees like salt leeches off Cousin Brenda at the Lonesome Dam. And that, my dear, is all she wrote. Then I sent it, seeing him clumping back over to his property, wearing old stringy hat and gumboots. Do not need to tell you, I felt all weird when I heard the lights go off in their place. Had to turn the volume up on the TV set, even though I couldn't hear nothing going on. Thank God.
16: I always wondered what that cream in the big cupboard at the top of the stairs was. (laughs) And now I have the same one, which I don't use either. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't finished. That's just the title. September, a newsletter month. The hypochondriac knows their festival begins here To ride alongside the season's shift in pressure Us jockeys tinkle with each physiological drop or ache cold brings This lonesome frame shivery with spectre and change Maybe a tad more handsome for tightening at the joints My skin is on its warning hinges to turn poised Symptoms that abated return dictionary read unmanned I am a sharpening plan, over detailing, a part of the master premonition I can't quite see. On these junction nights, tested on with nibs in the crease, I look up at that nipped at moon and know tomorrow I'll wake up in sprouted, flattened towns, pancake spires, and that spreadable caravan itch roves. The crimson tick is home in eczema, old pink and grey. Is that it?
8: Cool, thank you.
17: Central line. Everybody loves the central. We know why. It'll get you east to west. The quickest and the reddest. It's the central line. No potential deviation It's flat and horizontal The line of least resistance A crime to to call call it crimson Cause it isn't It's the Central Line Goes from Epping to West Right Slip Here it's nice there It used to be much longer It used to go to Onga It's the Central Line London's very own equator, but it could be straighter. It's got the sharpest curve along it, between Shepherds Bush and White City. It's the central line, 49 different stations stationed on it. And as for Oxford Circus, the busiest station on the network, maybe on Earth.
5: This is a poem. Why all the reasons why I might want to move back to Leicester, and it's called Leicester's Moor. Yay! (laughs) Yay. Yeah, if you've heard it before, please don't groan too much. Right, Uh, Leicester's Moor. I've forgotten it completely. Or so. uh, Thank you, (laughs) Leicester's (laughs) Moor. Or so we like to think. Perhaps because in Leicester, you can get a tastier pint to drink. Nice half the price there's more culture more spice more variety <laughs> more life full stop yes what a lot leicester's got shops theatres the shires gallow tree gate makes you realize what a state london's in London's a dustbin compared to Leicester's shine. And you know what? It is possible to go out in Leicester and have a good time and have change from a blue beer token. Yes, I'm sure Leicester's more. All right, I was
0: joking. Thank you very much. The third and final section was hosted by Niall O'Sullivan, who has been running the night since 2005. And Niall invited along Joshua Edahan, Nadia Drews, Anna Khan, and the Brothers Grimm before closing the night with a poem.
18: I'm about to do a poem about Black Lives Matter and I noticed I'm only one of two black people here. So, black is time. Black would like to make a statement, black is tired, see ya. Black's eyes are vacant, black's arms are leaden, black's tongue can't taste shit, and black's stomach cannot compress death, and black would like to state it's not a beast of myth. To be slain in a fable, told round the table by blue-collar brave men, and black has demands, black has demands, black demands, baton-proof bones, and bullet-resistant skin, black wrote an article. 500 years the proof state-sponsored killing should go the way of dubstep and black thinks no man this trigger nervous deserves a gun, much less a badge and black knows one day its hands will be up and its lips will be shushed, but its shadow will be reaching for something that's not there and that will be enough and black says you keep your 40 acres, just let black reach for the end of the street just let black reach for the last little sweet, just let black reach into black's own lungs and black doesn't want its young ones seeing their fathers die on YouTube pausing halfway just to keep man alive, black says it's Always been like this. You've just been late to walk in. Black has seen your grin. Your grin is a cutlass flag. And black. Black's hands are bleeding from gripping the knife edge you offered on your side of the handshake. You go write your thoughts and prayers on a piece of paper. Fling it at the moon. See what that will do. You call for calm. You call for peace. You sacrifice the glacier's peak. It won't end the palaver. It might be calm on the top, but it needs to the lava. And Black is angry now. Black is in pain Black's nerves are fireflies dancing with grief A curse word trapped in a bracket Sentence too intense for one full stop Black's pain needs three full stops, an ellipsis worth Nothing fair fair skinned about Black's pain Black's pain is sat in the dark with the lights off and the candles out Nothing fair fair skinned about Black's pain Oh, Black knows that you commiserate Black knows that you sympathize. Black says that you cannot understand. Black says that you cannot compare. Black says that this pain is too pepper. Black says that you cannot digest. Black says that how can you relate? When these black lips are this fool and These black cheeks are this round and This black voice is this loud and These black knees are this ashy And this black skin is this cocoa butter shiny and This black pain is dancing This black struggle is dancing This black praise is dancing This black sorrow is dancing This black hair is this nappy And braided and long and in and thick, it's so, thick it's so thick it's so thick it's so thick it's so long Like octopus legs stretching over skies Blotting out the sun Inking up the cotton and the cocaine And now black's emotions a hurricane and now black's a on the Everest and black is here black is saying black has tried everything black has jived black has breastfed your children black has learned to beg in your language black has eaten your terrible rendition of jollof rice black has laughed at your stupid yeah. stupid stupid jokes black has bitten its own tongue to a nub. black has filled the corners of your adulation with its excellence black wants to know what else it can do because black is desperate now crack addict a crack don't desperate black has brought all its children to the parking lot and all its treasures to the auction block. Black is willing to negotiate. Black says if you would give it some dignity, it will give you twerking. Black knows you love hip-hop. Black will swap hip-hop for a chance to live on its own two feet. Black says let black go anywhere that it wants and it will get the Williams to quit winning for a year. (laughs) Black says nothing is off limits. Black will do anything for its humanity. Black says, just let black be. Black says, just let black be. Thank you.
11: I want hair like Ali's hair. It is named a demi-wave. It is a photo in the window of style. That is the salon on the parade. She rolls it up and holds it wound with a round brush. She sprays it with a shocking pink can, popping the plastic lid off, gripping it in her teeth. She tips it and spits it out on the kitchen table top. There's always toast and sugary tea, just the six. For me, she rattles with her free hand, shaking something inside like a ball bearing stuck inside a puzzle. She draws a semicircle side to side on sunny days in the dust. You can see sticky glitter. It stays in place to the shop for sweets and ciggies past lads on the park. There are whistles, shouting, howls, barking dogs and I want lips like Ali's lips gloopy they're a slick juicy fruit from a gloss bottle she keeps in the towel in t-shirt top pocket she makes a pout like she's sucking pop she looks like it tastes nice she rolls it round and round she licks at it and rubs it with her fingertip then reapplies it never dries her lips are like the satin birthday bows my mum used to tie Ali's little boy is called Johnny a lad made a dirty joke sat on her settee. Does don't fancy me. She shows me how to snog on the little mirror she carries in her clutch bag. She turns her head clockwise side to side. She makes a noise as she slides a sigh. Mm. It's cold and flat when I try. She wipes it off with a J cloth and checks her face. Not a hair out of place. And I want eyes like Ali's eyes. She has fabulous, luscious lashes like the lady says on the telly. She uses a wand. They are spindly long like spiders' legs. Her whole face opens wide like she's surprised. They are soft, toffee-o's like Rolo's. Sometimes she uses shadow, blowing powder puffs on the brush, not too much. Circling round the sockets, highlights white to emphasise. They make her look awake. Well, it's her house, so she can stay up late. It's called coal, the Black. It smudges like the smut on the metal ledge by the flame of the gas fire where we try to spark up butts. You have to take it back. It's not enough to hold it in. Keep your mouth shut and then blow. They will know and they will show you up. You have to pull hard take a drag deep till it fills you up, hits you in the ribs, knackers you back and you can't breathe in anymore and then you have to let it go, slow, effing filtering thin lines, lips wide like a smile, you can't cough, if you cough you're a cocking kid, a fucking stuck up cunt, you can't come in, you can't come back trying to act grown up, shut up, what's up you smelly runt. go on and tell your mum and your mum always knows and she won't let you go but if I sit on the sill, I can see from my bedroom window and I want jeans like Ali's jeans. They are lees you can see on the label, skin tight on the thighs and then flaring wide, swishing side to side over platform soles. They are peep toes, painted mauve. I've seen her lie down, hook the hanger on, gripping so the zip closes. She bites her bottom lip and groans and the gap goes. Hip hugging, she grins like a winner.
12: Cheers. it's not as bad when my hair is mostly straight like this but I get a lot of where are you from and then when I say like a little village in Buckinghamshire you haven't heard of I get no where are you from from um, and it's difficult because where I'm from is not where my mum's from and where my mum's from is not where her mum's from um, religious persecution yay um, <laughs> This is a poem somewhat about that. I thought I'd better do an old one. So I think I'm pretty sure I wrote this on the way to Poetry Unplugged several years ago. Um, Yeah. When my grandparents threw parties, Nana would have Papa Shua order whiskey by the case because Iraqi Jewish men of their generation drank at parties and only at parties, but always at parties like Newcastle girls. A throwaway way of saying it would be that they drank like there was no tomorrow and I think it was partly that deep animal brain fear all immigrants carry that there will be no tomorrow and partly as a fuck you to the Muslim culture they'd been exiled from because just like all Jews know that bacon is amazing, all Iraqis know that the best whiskey, the bust another bust comes from Asakotaland Most of Nana's friends married Iraqi Jewish not Quite mafiosi, but she married for love. She married an accountant and slightly regretted that forever, but she threw the best parties, the bust, another bust, five foot fuck all of noise and love and laughter. She couldn't dance and she couldn't sing, but did she give a shit? Did she fuck? The band would play and she would ululate along. (laughs) While the belly dancers they'd hired for the occasion, half-dressed and stunning as her hips vibrated, would wonder why she was suddenly not the centre of attention. Nobody else had a hope of remaining center of attention when my Nana decided to set out to celebrate this woman, this tiny woman in ridiculous lipstick who danced like a wooden top whose fingers should have been dripping with hideous bling because Iraqi Jews make up for their okay taste in alcohol with truly awful taste in jewelry. This woman who swore like a sailor, made the men drink like there was no tomorrow, made the men drink like Newcastle girls, made a little girl feel like the center of the world. On well, my grandparents do parties, they got the booze in by the carload. And at her funeral, the mourners got through maybe half a bottle. I guess with age, your tolerance goes. Most of her friends are dead now. Only a few remain to shuffle in on canes, pinch my cheeks, call me Anna. Because only she, not even Papa Shua, only she could ever pronounce it Anna. And I get the impression that the few still clinging on are the dregs. They've always been the hangers-on. All the big players have dropped off. Nana was the last full measure of whiskey left after her. The bottom of a final glass, half a bottle of whiskey between them at the funeral. Compared to a case, it's nothing. Compared to her, those that were left, they looked like nothing the Iraqi Jewish parties of her generation have passed. Thank you very much.
19: Ice Age. As if cutting off your nose to spite your face was successful cosmetic surgery, the British people have spoken. Democracy in action, the body politic broken. Bullshit, bluster and downright lies. It's no surprise when the disenfranchised stick two fingers up to the establishment. Who knows what they meant? Who ruined race relations? Who blamed immigration? Who sucked with the devil they knew was in the detail? It's an epic fail to recognise whose dick it is in your ass. It's the ruling class. The whole damn thing was a farce. Listen, let me articulate this clearly. Understand, I mean it most sincerely. I don't want to take my country back. I want to take my country forward.
6: Very quickly for Joshua, because I do stuff for Joshua. Um, Poem I haven't done for a long time, just like Carl and just like John, so. I wrote, I actually, a couple of years ago, I wrote a line. Just, I, I'll sum up this poem by saying I wrote the line um, I am a soft palm man of letters, dry pumping the deadwood of my credible blue collar past. <laughs> Here it goes. Come on in, say sticky, plastic, yellow letters in that warm, sizzling, fat steam vocabulary of all day breakfast, pie and mash, hot and cold drinks. Come on in to the worker's cafe where every table is a smoking table.
3: <laughs>
6: where you can be that 14 and a half stone. I didn't weigh that when I wrote it. Of unshaven, mud-flecked, callous palm, tobacco-stained, foul-mouthed, mouthed, hungover, unapologetic masculinity, Grr. that this skim-cappuccino society wants to castrate and send to a counsellor. Come on in to that blast bastion of a page-free front where you can eat your beans, then break your wind, then look to your colleague like you have just done a rare and wonderful thing. Where you can ask for three sugars without having to repeat yourself where the toast is loaded with so much butter you can lubricate a chainsaw with it, where you can leave the daily sport open at whatever page you like, apart from the horoscopes. <laughs> and where you can slag off your boss all you want because you know he's up the road at the Pret-a-Manger. Come on in for full English breakfast, £2.20, 3 pounds of tea or coffee, super special breakfast, £3.60, mega special breakfast, £4.25, vegetarian breakfast, £1.20. It's an old poem. It's an
8: old poem.
6: Come on in. Bring your headache, bring your divorce, bring your big, beautiful guts, bring your eyes red with whiskey and hell back tears, bring your five day beard, bring your near relegation second division hopes. Come on in, take a seat. You don't even have to wipe your feet because hygiene is not your main concern, yeah, we know. That's why we stopped buying soap for the bogs about a decade ago. (laughs) And that whole plate's going to keep on sizzling for you till half past five this evening for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's all the time you need to, to fill that cantankerous old void before it's time for the pubs to take over. Thank
8: you.